Welcome to the Dream Mason Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. A Dream Mason is a person who's brave enough to declare they have a dream and committed enough to do the work to build it. I know we all have a Dream Mason inside of us, and my dream for this podcast is to support us by giving us a glimpse inside the hearts and minds of leaders, creators, and innovators to help us unleash our inner Dream Mason. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I'm your host, Alex Terranova. I am a Dream Mason, a performance and mindfulness coach. I work with leaders, creators, and innovators, those brave enough to build their dreams. If you're a high performer looking for an edge with a desire to expand your leadership generate more money, more time, and feel more fulfilled. Working with me will support you in making that life a reality. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. If you guys haven't already, please subscribe to the Dream Mason podcast on iTunes and YouTube and leave a review. And please follow me, Inspirational Alex, on Instagram. I would love to connect with you guys, hear your thoughts. So I have a sneaking suspicion that today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. Um, my guest today is Emily Perkins. She's the owner and founder of Love Living Holistics. She's super passionate about holistic lifestyle, holistic health. So Emily, I'm going to say this wrong and feel free to correct me, but you are a Usu Holy Fire 2 Reiki master. Is that right? They say that right? Yeah. Usui. Okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks for not making me feel too bad about it. Uh, You've also... You've also worked in the beauty industry for over 15 years, and you're a life coach, and you host a radio show in, that I was actually just recently on. The radio show is called Love Living Radio, and it's on the Transformation Network. I'm like out of breath. Can you give me some Reiki to like restore me back for the rest of this conversation? <laughs> yeah, I'm sending you some love. You're good. You're good. <laughs> How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm a little bit nervous. This is the first time I've ever done video, but I'm also like really excited. Um, I'm really loving your background also. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, Yeah. the love isn't bad either back there. We're like, we can, if you get nervous, just look at my background and I'll stare at the love. Oh, there you go. It's like a little like mural mantra. There you go. What do you want people to know about you besides what I already shared? Ooh, okay. Um, well, it's funny because the first thing that came to my mind was the thing that's right behind me. Um, I would love them to know that like, the fabric of my being and the reason why I show up every day is love. Like, it's, it's the thing that's in my veins. It's literally tattooed on my arm. Um, and it's, it's like the thing that just gets me going. Like for me, it's, it's what connects us all. It's this beautiful universal energy, but it's really the fabric and the essence of my practice, which is my, my baby and my passion. Um, uh, I do pretty much every day. I do the Reiki, uh, holistic facials and, um, coaching every day. So I get to be with people in the love all day long. And I love it. Like I, I super crazy love it. (laughs) So I guess that's probably the biggest thing. What is a whole, what's a holistic facial? 
Oh, it's not a normal facial. I'll tell you that. It's really nice. (laughs) What is it? Um, So I think a lot of the times in the beauty world, there's this kind of stereotype of it being a little bit superficial and topical, like just about what's on the surface. And what I think I love so much about the way that I that I work, um, and I'm amazingly just found another esthetician that works the same way, which I thought was going to be really hard, um, is that it's really kind of more like a whole being experience rather than you just like getting your skin treated. Um, there's energy and wo- energy work woven into every interaction, really, not just the treatment itself. Um, so it's really about treating the whole being, which is what holistic everything is about that mind body soul connection so I think that's what makes it a little different than just a topical facial I'm not just treating their skin I'm treating their whole being what about well why don't you I know a little about Reiki I've I've had some a few Reiki experiences and I know lots of people who practice Reiki but for people listening like what is Reiki how do you I want to say, how do you uh, simplify it language-wise so that it's like really understandable by pretty much anyone? If you give me like the Donald Trump version of what race? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, if I had Donald Trump in front of me, it'd be a very different conversation. Um, honestly, the way that I explain it actually is really simple. Like the basics of it are starting with energy itself, you know, so like matter itself is congealed energy. So everything that occupies space is energy. And there's different forms of energy. Um, And the energy that Reiki tunes into is the energy of the subtle body, so subtle energy. And that's really what most intuitive energy healing tunes into. So you can get into all the complicated stuff about chakras and meridians, but honestly, what Reiki does is just transmits love that's all it is. It's tuning into this cosmic universal life force, which is basically the combination of the energy of all things, because everything is energy, because everything occupies space, at least in our, in our dimension. So it's just channeling love, channeling a universal life force and transmitting that. And that shows up in all sorts of different kinds of ways, both for the practitioner and for the person receiving. And I mean, it's like pure magic what happens in Reiki treatments. Um, But essentially it's a transmission of love. That's awesome. I've never heard it described that way. Um, I always, when I think about Reiki and energy, the way you just talked about it. I'm always, I always think about it's Einstein, right? Who basically talked about like everything is energy. And a lot of people think stuff like this is like magic or too woo woo or like out there or whatever. And I think it's really cool that it's actually just, it's actually science. You don't have to do Reiki. You don't have to empower these things, but energy work in itself is just science. Like I'm not saying like that Einstein practiced Reiki, but the idea that even you said anything that occupies space, but even the th- the absence of, there's still energy in that space. There isn't actually anywhere that doesn't have molecules moving so fast. I think we forget that is that even our human composition 
is what just like atoms and neutrons and like just firing at different rates than the bookcase. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. I say, I say this a lot, but like the synapses in our brain, the pumping of our heart, like every single motion and movement and amazingly our our bodies are so amazing. They're really just like this beautiful intelligence that we have don't even have to think about what happens. It just does on its own. But like, that's part of the energy too, you know, like it's there, it's flowing regardless of whether or not we're conscious of it. And it is everything. It's everything and everywhere. Yeah. What's your, what's the big dream? What's the thing you want to create in the world for yourself, for the world? <laughs> yeah. Just so, right there. Just, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a, the perfect conversation for where we're at, or it's the perfect question for what we're talking about because my big, big dream, um, which I actually figured out when I was going through my coach training year at Accomplishment Coaching, which is how you and I know each other, um, is to start a love revolution. <laughs> uh, and that for me right now, at least, looks like creating it in every possible way I can in my life, both for me and for the people that I touch and interact with. Um, it's fostering it in the work I do with individuals, but I also have a women's networking group um, for female entrepreneurs and it's building it there. It's, uh, I just started a new leadership program, a year long leadership program, and that's going to be creating workshops that I can then take all over the country um, that are again about like at, at the core building this love muscle, building this energy and way of life and way of being. That's really what it is, you know, like way of being that creates the way of life through that awesomely powerful, shiny, warm, sparkly love. And that, I think that's the big dream. What's in, what's the thing that like gets in your way that's Cause we could say love, like love is everywhere. It's all the time. It doesn't, there's never, there can't actually be an absence of it. I, at least I don't, I think it's always present. It's just about whether we open our eyes or our senses to it or whether we turn away from it. Um, but for you, what's the thing that makes this the most challenging or what has been the most challenging? Um, honestly, I think the thing that's been the most challenging is like actually stepping up to the plate of how big that feels for me, you know, like it's, it's easy to say, like to verbalize, Hey, I want to start a love revolution that changes the world. Like shit. (laughs) But that's, that's a, that's a bold thing to say and a bold thing to want. And I think that the thing that gets in my way is actually like knowing that I can, um, knowing where to start. And for me, the starting place has been first with myself in my practice with the people that I work with and trusting that like my next step shows up because it always does. But I think honestly, like I've never doubted myself more in my entire life than when I did when I started that radio station that you were just on a couple weeks ago. Um, All my shit came up. I was, have never felt more insecure. Like I wasn't enough. Like I was like, there are so many more brilliant people out there than me. Like, why do I think I can do this when they're not doing it? 
you know, and it's the same, it's the same thing for the love revolution. I think it's just this fear that I am not enough or I won't, I won't show up enough or I'm not strong enough or bold enough or smart enough or whatever to do this thing that my heart wants so bad. And it's probably like the most common stop problem circumstance issue that people with a big dream have, right? Oh, it's yeah. like, why me? How do I do it? I'm not good enough. It's impossible. I don't know how. So how are you figuring, since there isn't a roadmap, right? There's no, you can't actually Google how to start a love revolution. I mean, <laughs> you're probably going to end up on a website that you weren't intending to be on. Um, <laughs> but it's a lot of things we can Google, right? Like, how do we do stuff? And it's actually the instructions are there. But I would, I might argue that the things that really come from our heart, like the really big things that would impact like tons and tons of people, there isn't an instruction manual for. And that if you need to know how, you actually never get started. So how do you actually get started not knowing how you're going to do this? Mm. Yeah. Um, I, it's funny because like I was thinking about this the other day when I was talking to my dad about how for whatever reason, um, since I started working for myself, which was like eight years ago, but to be honest, even before then, like there's always for whatever reason for me been this trust in what I'm doing and what my next step is going to be, or not even maybe knowing what the next step will be, but knowing that it'll, it'll just show up when I'm ready for it. So like, there's always been this really deep trust that, I think comes essentially for me from love and wanting to connect with people. Like that's, for me, that's, that's a big part of the love is like how I connect with people. Um, whether it's in Reiki treatments, whether it's in a facial, whether it's coaching, like it's, for, it is really truly about like that, that connection. And the way that that's shown up has been really organic in terms of like going from the beauty and then that manifesting into the Reiki and then that manifesting into the coaching. And like the next step is just kind of always really seamlessly and intuitively shown up. So I think the biggest piece in that for me is that I've trusted it. Like I trust that part of my intuition. Um, and the reason why I brought up the fact that I was thinking about it with, with my dad was because like, I do have this really cool undying trust in my, career life and so much less in my love life <laughs> it's just like such a different uh animal for me for some reason um and I've been really thinking about that lately uh but yeah I think trusting my intuition there and maybe starting to practice that in my love life I love that you slowly pushed us down to a conversation about love life. And now we're, we're going to have to get to sex because this is what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, nobody like every and anyone listening, everyone listening has no idea that you were like, let's talk about sex on this podcast. And I was <laughs> like, well, we can, but let's see where it goes. Um, nice job manipulating it. I see where you're at. Um, <laughs> so wait, I didn't even mean to do that to be totally honest I'm, it just happened I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding um I actually did it with the website comment right like I, I led us there so but let's actually look at that because you just said something really cool where I noticed that for myself too um there'll be an area in my life 
that I'm like so consistent or so powerful or there's no ifs, ands, or buts about like an area of commitment in my life. And then yet that same commitment muscle that I have that I know exists because I use it over here doesn't exist over here. So there's this other thing I want to do that like I just can't get committed to. Um, so for you, it's like you're loving everywhere and which is based on what you just described on trust and faith and intuition. But yet when it comes to an area that is all, just another area that's like totally dedicated to love, your relationships, it's, there's, a, there's a gap or a stop. What, do you, what is it that you notice? Yeah, it's funny because I've, I have been thinking about this a lot. And I think the thing that I've noticed is that there is this trust and this intuition or, or trust in my intuition around things like work, you know, and, and, and when it comes to relationship, um, (laughs) there's like a trust in honestly, sometimes more in my survival mechanism in, in the part of me that like wants to protect. And I think that funny enough, like for me, I think sometimes there feels like there's more at stake when it's a relationship, you know, like my heart is this huge, big, crazy beating ball of energy. That's just like beaming out all the time. And I have this trust and faith that I can give that and that I can be that for other people and be it in the world. But I sometimes forget that I actually need it too. Um, that like, the thing that sources me, the thing that allows me to be that is actually accepting it also. Um, And that is sometimes challenging for me because I'm really good at being it. I'm not so awesome at all the time at asking for it or even just acknowledging that I actually really need it, that I actually need love, you know? And so I think, because that feels vulnerable it does. And it feels honestly like the word that came up the other day for me around it was like, it, it actually feels pathetic to actually need love. I have the judgment sometimes that that is pathetic because I should be able to do it on my own. You know, I should be able to just be like, love myself so much that I don't need to be held at the end of the night, or I don't need to ask for a hug or, or even just for someone to show up, you know, like I really want a date for this. I'm going to ask. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's probably the, the stretch for me is trusting myself to actually need love. I get that. I get it from, um, I actually was just having a text conversation with somebody about the idea they made a comment that like being single is hard. And I was like, I actually never thought being single was hard at any point in my life, but I do now, but it's from an energetic, like depleting place in the sense of you and I, and and anyone I think that does work, that's like a lot of giving of yourself to other people. Um, I think there's this want to like have a soft place to land, to have a place where you can get sourced, where you can actually get, and like you can do it for yourself, 
And there's something, there is always something you can't do for yourself, right? Like that's why we need other people. We're not meant to be all on our own. Um, and there's something about this that I want to say like anything in health, transformation, personal growth, any industry actually where you're like really giving pieces of yourself to other people, like you are kind of the product in a way, um, that it makes that kind of being single, like maybe a little more challenging or like a little more exhausting. Um, I also notice it in the, the more that we practice opening up our hearts, uh, people that aren't practicing that can often not be okay with it. It's too scary for them or too vulnerable for them to be with somebody who's willing to just like, you know, crack their shell and spill their yolk all over the table and be like, this is who I am and it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just had that experience with, um, someone that I was dating, um, someone that I really, really, I really liked, um, that I met on my trip when I was traveling cross country this winter. And, um, it can be really challenging. It also showed me a lot, uh, <laughs> which is perfect for like that trusting of the intuition and trusting, uh, that I need love and what I need in love and how I need that. Um, because that cracking wide open, vulnerable, open, exposed heart, um, isn't where a lot of people are. And, letting that be okay for them, but also accepting what I need in a partnership is my stretch. You know, accepting the fact that like, I don't have to try and bring everyone into it with me, or I don't have to bring them up to where I'm at, that it can be okay where he's at or where they're at. And it may just not be the right fit and that's okay. But accepting and really, um, honoring what both of both people need in that moment, I guess, and letting it, letting it be okay. I'm, I'm thinking about like, what's the, what's the thing that makes, that's been the most challenging about dating, about running, being an entrepreneur, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you have like multiple businesses, and then you also have like dating as a job, basically. And you're dating from this, you're dating from this very, I want to say deep, emotional, connected heart space, like juggling all the things. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Look at the background and <laughs> I'm I'm sometimes um it's easier sometimes than than others. Uh and it's it's been a really fascinating couple of months, to be totally honest, um, with this balance happening, especially in the past couple of weeks. Um and it's not it is not always easy, but the thing that always brings me back, the thing that always keeps me grounded, the thing, the thing that always is my guiding light is the love itself. You know, like one of the questions I think in my coach training program that one of um, my old coach, Alice Petzold, asked me was, okay, well, what would your, what would love do? What would love do? And for me, that is, it's such a grounding source for me because in the moments when, uh, 
you know, I might, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a space right now in my life where I am, oh, I'm openly dating. So I'm not necessarily just seeing one person. And I've been very clear about that with the people that I'm seeing. Um, and that takes some communication and some trust for sure. Um, and in those moments, especially because there's multiple hearts involved, I have to ask that a lot. What would love do? Um, and especially for myself, because it can, it can get to be a lot, a lot on my plate. But I've also noticed that like, there's oftentimes really interesting correlations between what's happening for me in my dating life and what's happening in my work life. Um, like, so this, I've been working with this big piece for myself lately, which I call my love me, love me, see me, see me. And one of my other friends calls it her desperate lover. And it's kind of the same thing. Um, it's this balance between the part of me that doesn't want to acknowledge that I need love and the part of me that desperately wants it and how I show up really, um, is drastically different when I'm in one versus the other. So when I'm, when I'm in my love me, love me, see me, see me, I'm like, Oh my God, why isn't he calling me? Or I'm in like social media mode. And I'm like, you know, uh, posting something for my business that I normally would not post. That's more about like me wanting to be seen and, and grab attention. So like, they're not, they're actually mirrored a lot of the time. Um, and just having the awareness of that piece for myself is really cool to be able to watch. How do, how do people, Man, I'm like trying, I'm like, my mind's going in so many different ways where I want to go with this. But how do people, we live in a world right now that is like so um, polarized, that's so confrontational. Like you basically say something to somebody that they don't agree with and like whether they're not your friend in real life or they're not your friend on social media, it's like everything is so dramatic. It's not like that I want to say like, 50 years ago where you could just kind of disagree on things. And like, it didn't mean that you didn't ever talk again or that people hated each other. Um, but what I notice in a lot of it is there's a, the absence of love, mm. right? Like if I love you, I can disagree with you and still love you. My mom actually said to me once a long time, I don't know how long ago this was, but she said to me, um, and I'm, this isn't a quote, but it's something to, um, that, I taught her something. I taught her something about love and it was that we could fight and really, really fight. And yet she knew at the end of it that I still loved her, that she had a fear or limiting belief at some point that like, if you actually really got into it with somebody that loved you, that they would take their love away. Mm. Um, and I think that was maybe the first time I realized like, wait a minute, that's actually a thing, right? Like, you know, people like that, that you could get into any amount of fight with and you'll still love them. That doesn't go away. How do you love, how do we love people in the world right now that are like the completely opposite of us that say the things that we think are so harmful, regardless of which side you fall on, there's people like that for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's your, your intuition is totally on point too, because I just had literally 
two minutes before we started this video, I had a really intense conversation with a friend about this, um, about like when we get into conflict, when there's challenge, when we're calling each other out on the stuff that's hard to talk about, um, when we're not meeting eye to eye and there's this big tension or divide or whatever a challenge in a relationship in just the way that you relate to someone if it's not someone you're you know in close relationship with but like how do you be in that and still hold the love like still stay connected to that you know to the to the reason why you're in relationship with them and you know to answer your question too about like how do you how do you hold the love with people like like let's say even like Donald Trump, who is <laughs> well, a challenging person I, for me to. Well, I want to pose it just for the sake, like I want it to like because it's it flips the opposite way too, right? Like it's it's for you to love, show him love, but also would be for him to show you love. It's a really because it works both ways. I think is a is the thing that we forget is. How does the oppressor show the oppressed love and how does the oppressed show the oppressor love? Because it, it can't actually only be one-sided. Otherwise, it doesn't, nothing changes. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, have, I have no control over Donald Trump loving me. I really wish he would, but I don't, I don't know about that. But no, well, I, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like how do we, as people, regardless of where you fall on any spectrum, right? Whether it be religious conflict, conflict, political conflict, racial conflict, how do you love someone that you actually feel like is doing harm to the world or other people that you live in. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't actually. Yeah. 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 And I, uh, I love that question. And it's, again, I literally was just talking about this with a friend on this walk that like the holding, holding the space for and holding the belief that people are essentially good at their core, that all people are essentially good. Even the people that are doing the most damage, the most trauma to this world, at the core have some kind of a wound that just has some kind of a need, which probably most likely has some root based in love, you know, and to be able to follow the trail back to that is this way of tuning into that unconditional love that people talk about all the time. You know, unconditional love means loving someone unconditionally, regardless of what they're doing in the world, regardless of how different their beliefs might be, regardless of whether or not you actually like them. <laughs> you know, like unconditional love is that, I think also that belief in everyone's essential goodness, that we as humans are good at our heart and at our core. And it is like, I can like... <laughs> It affects me so much that like I can feel it in every cell of my body right now. Like it literally just sinks me so deep into into my heart when I talk about that because that is at the essence of that love revolution that I want so bad is the belief that people are essentially good. And I, I so wholeheartedly believe it so much that it makes me want to cry. <laughs> well, you can see it. I mean, your your whole being and energy shifted. Um, 
is there a, like a practice or like a tool or anything that like, cause I think, I think this is like a really big deal right now to like be able to love someone that disagrees with you and not someone that you know, right? Like, I think that's a little easier, right? If, if my mom disagrees with me, like I love my mom or, you know, for some people, maybe that's not the, they can't hold that. But I think if we really love someone, we, we can do that. It's easier to bridge that gap. Um, but if my neighbor, you know, the guy who lives next door to me in the house is a supporter of something that I think is horrible. And he thinks I'm horrible because I'm the other way, right? How do I, like, how do I love that guy? Mm. Well, I would say start with believing that he's essentially good. And then from there, find the ways that he is good. You know, like, and it and it may take some digging. It may take a little bit of <laughs> curiosity and a little bit of digging. But... And if, and if you don't have access to that, like if it's someone that like, you know, is not in front of you, um, again, it comes back to that belief in our humanity and our divinity and that essential goodness. And I also think that like, this might sound kind of, um, this is a judgment, I guess this might sound kind of frou-frou, but like sing into the love in your heart. There's this, there's this, um, meditation that one of my friends taught me years ago that I love so much. And she, it's called, um, the go to glow meditation. And it is basically finding the smile in your heart and then letting it radiate out, letting it radiate through your whole body, letting it radiate outside of your body. And I think that concept, finding the smile in your heart, finding the love within your heart, because it's there. It's just waiting to be tapped into. That gives you more access to believing in people's essential goodness and to knowing that there's something that that person is struggling with. There's some kind of hurt there maybe, but underneath that is someone that just wants to be loved. I hear like a lot of um, compassion and I like compassion and curiosity. I think and perspective because we get to choose what we put our attention on. Now we don't always get to choose what we see based on our own filters and what we hear. We're not always present to like what's coming in and how we're interpreting it. We can be through mindfulness. Um, but we do get to choose, especially the more mindful we get, like what our attention's on. So I, with my example, right. I, what I heard from you is I can choose to focus on all the things about this neighbor that, this isn't a real person, by the way. <laughs> this imaginary neighbor. Um, and, or I could choose to be like, wow, look how much he loves his dog. Look how kind he is to his dog and ignore the thing that we oppose, you know, or the, the painting that I see him painting, you know, whatever. Um, and I think you're right. Like that actually, it's not always easy because we don't always have the access. And so, maybe that's where the the practice or the work comes in. And I think I'm like very, I'm very present to anything that we want that we don't have takes some work. Work doesn't imply bad or hard or good or whatever, but it almost takes like practice and repetition. So if I want to practice, if like, if I want more love, I actually have to practice love. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
that's that's the essence of of uh of the love evolution that's the essence of why i do what i do why i show up every day that like if i'm if you want to start that thing if you want the love evolution you got to be the love you have to practice it every day and it isn't always easy like it's not always the easy choice to choose to love someone that triggers the fuck out of you or that like hurts you even harder someone that hurts you you know to choose to love them and love yourself at the same time but yeah it's it's i think the challenge to the human race can we love despite the difference can we love despite the divides can we love despite the fact that we're not all the same because we're not we're beautifully crazy different individual unique little snowflake humans that show up differently all (laughs) over the globe it's so awesome we're not robots and we all come from the same stuff every religion is based in the same thing it's love it's the one constant and if we can right. choose that over all the other stuff, then maybe we have a shot. <laughs> I have, I don't know why this came to me as you were, but it's, it's, this is for fun. We've been like, this has been pretty deep and intense and, you know, but so, okay. You have, you want to start a love revolution. Uh, you get, you get five generals to support you, but I'm going to be really specific. One's an animal. Doesn't have to be a real animal. It could be a real animal could also be like a fictional animal one is a fictional human like a character from a movie or a tv show one real living man one real living woman and one dead human being that gets to come back and these people get to help you lead your love revolution who's on your team oh jesus that is a big question okay it's fun it's fun have fun with it right like love (laughs) love the question (laughs) (laughs) okay okay um my spirit animal is going to be it's like a cross between a unicorn and an elephant i think i have to probably choose the elephant though um just because they're they're just magic or a fairy no 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 the elephant okay okay um animal character fictional character um, I don't know why, but I'm just going to trust my intuition on this. Winnie the Pooh is the first thing that came up. Okay. Um, yep. Winnie the Pooh. Um, I should know this because I just watched a documentary, but I missed like the first 20 minutes. If Mr. Rogers is still alive, he's definitely in my, in my top five. I think Mr. Rogers is not alive. So... I think he's your, so he's your passed away. He's your, he reincarnated hero. And then who are your two living? One woman, one man. My, my woman would be Marianne Williamson because I mean, she's Marianne Williamson and she's amazing and she's the goddess of love. (laughs) Um, Man, man. The first, the first man that popped into my into my brain was the Dalai Lama, um, and the reason why I chose him is not just because he's the Dalai Lama, but he is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to start this love revolution and why I had access to it in a different way, because I saw him in Boston a few years ago with some friends, and 
he was talking about Buddhism and how it's kind of become trendy to, to like become a Buddhist. And he was talking about how you don't need to become a Buddhist in order to practice the philosophies and how, like I just said this a little earlier, how like the core and the beginning and the essence of every religion, whether it's Buddhism or Catholicism or Judaism is love. So for me, that's why I think I would choose him because one, he's really funny and he's really cute. Um, he's brilliant, like brilliant. Like I, I, he has studied more in his lifetime than I think like probably some 20 people combined. Um, he's brilliant. <laughs> like a, what 20 people? <laughs> yeah. So 20 people in Alaska. Yeah. Just, just combined. Frank and, and the other 19 neighbors. <laughs> um, I know what you mean. His, uh, book of the book of joy is I think one of the best and coolest books ever written. Um, and I know it's not just him, it's him and Desmond Tutu, but, um, it's pretty incredible. And he is absolutely hilarious. I've never seen a, I want to say like a spiritual figure who brings so much play and joy into what they do. Um, to me, that's, that's how it all ties together. Actually. It's funny that you brought that. Cause I see it as like the essence of all that we are is love. Like that is love and love is joy. And then joy ties back up. Like they're all actually interwoven. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's like this beautiful little magical web of golden thread. That's like all, it's just like there to catch you. <laughs> the love, the joy, the connection, the, the bliss, like it's all, it's all right there. Yeah. I love that. So how does sex play into the love revolution? Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad that you asked that. Cause I really did want to talk about it and yeah. it's actually We're not plenty of time. Yeah. Sweet. Um, well, it's, it's cool because I've just started getting a little bit more into, um, Tantra and Tantric, which I think is a little bit, um, misunderstood in our society. A lot of people think that it's like just kinky sex, but it's actually a philosophy, um, a Buddhist philosophy about, um, this really beautiful connection to passion and desire and how that can manifest and show up in our life and, and help us blossom into ourselves and into our lives. Um, so sex is like this really cool way of, for me, of expressing love, of experiencing love, of like, of like that ultimate connection both with yourself and with other people. Cause like sex with yourself is fun too. And it's also like this really beautiful sacred thing and is a really awesome way of loving yourself. Like that's not usually what we're told when we're kids or you're usually told, especially if you grow up Catholic, you're a big sinner. If you masturbate and you're going to go blind, but it's not true. I will tell you, you're not going to go blind if you masturbate. I think, I think the whole world knows it's not true. <laughs> I think basically every human being, and if they don't know, I don't know, maybe they don't have hands or I don't know. But, you gotta try it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's like, um, it's a really cool extension of it. It's a really cool facet of it. And for me, it's been such a 
really cool journey, a really, really amazingly cool journey. And I didn't really realize how um, connected it was to my purpose. Um, this like exploration and healing around sex for me. Um, and also I had, I had this moment in the shower, like, I don't know, a year ago. Um, I have some really brilliant ideas happen in the shower for some reason. And uh, I had this me moment too. where I was like, right? I don't know, something I, about I the water. My, I have my most like powerful, deeply spiritual conversations with the universe while I'm in the shower. I think it's the strip downness. The strip downness of like you're at, you're like completely on, you, you have nothing on, right? You're completely vulnerable in a way. And yet water is like cleansing. And it's mm. also like, it's also distracting and purifying in a way. I think it's a really, I actually think the shower is one of the best places to express feelings, emo- like your sadness, your anger, your joy, your surrender. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. That's such a really, that's a beautiful way of describing it. It really is that kind of washing away of everything and full exposure and vulnerability at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess that's probably where, yeah, where this beautiful revelation that I had about sex came through where I was like, you know, I think so much of uh, my path has led me to this point of like accepting that the the the, tra- the sexual trauma in my life the um, ways in which my love life has shown up are all kind of leading me to this I guess calling or purpose of healing around sex of bringing sex to the forefront of making it a little bit less taboo and a little bit more human and vulnerable and um, beautiful because it is oh god it is. Yeah, it, it was this really cool moment of like realizing that my life has a big piece of the love and the purpose and the, the pieces of my life have led me to knowing that sex was going to be a part of how, how I interact with the world. So how is that that you how how I want you just to speak more to that, like how does what does that mean? sex is going to be a way in which I interact with the world is like you is a very open door that you just left and walked away from. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, it doesn't mean that I plan on having sex with everyone in the world. Um, (laughs) It's more about. You wouldn't be able to have a love revolution. You'd be (laughs) busy. I'd be real busy. I'd be real busy. (laughs) And I think that that it's actually probably good to say too, because I think when people think about love revolution, they probably think about free love in the 50 or in the sixties and seventies. So, um, it's a little different than that. Uh, I think it's going to show up in a bunch of really cool ways that I can feel coming in the next, um, in the next year, actually working with tantric, working on creating some workshops. Um, but it started with me just being really vulnerable. And I wrote a blog post about the sexual trauma that happened to me when I was a teenager. And it's um, it opened up all sorts of really cool avenues and connections and doors with people that would just, women who read it and be like, oh my God, you know, that happened to me too. And um, just... And in some cases, I was the first person that they'd ever told. And so I think that 
part of it is just me being vulnerable and being open to talking about it. You know, I've, I've gone into some really cool conversations with my old coach on her podcast, which is about sex coming on this and talking to you about sex, you know, like just not being scared to talk about it, to say the hard shit, to talk about the messy stuff, to talk about the things in the ways that feel super vulnerable and uncomfortable because sex can be really vulnerable and messy and embarrassing. And so like, I think for me, it's not being afraid to show up to that. It's so, it's so weird and screwed up that as human beings, this is our relationship to sex. Cause what you're speaking to is not just your, like, I mean, I want, it's most people have sexual trauma based on like numbers and what is reported and not reported. And it doesn't have to be to the, all the same degree, but stuff. And when I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm thinking about like sex is in, is as natural to us as breathing and eating. Like we actually can't survive without it. We would just go extinct if we didn't have sex. And yet I was watching something the other day where it was, it was like a movie and it's like two teenagers sit on the bed and they like, they're both virgins. They haven't like got kissed or anything. And they're kind of like, uh, what do we do? And I had that thought for the first time, which was like, how do we actually not provide any instruction? Like you actually teach your child to eat, right? Like you don't just like slop food on the floor and go figure it out, kid. We don't, and now we don't teach people how to breathe until you actually maybe do yoga or breath work, whatever, which we probably should because nobody's like breathing enough. Um, and we, but it's weird that we don't teach people one of the most core basic things, right? And I don't know what, I don't have an answer. I don't have it like our parents should be teaching us. Um, but there's probably something that we missed as like a, as a species, as a human race in the sense of, and who knows when it happened, right? We've been around for so long, but it's this weird thing that like there's, not only is there so much trauma, but then when we're at a place where we can actually, I want to say do it as adults and in appropriate ways, people don't know how. Oh yeah. And I love that you said that. And like, look, I, I can speak to as a man in the world that we live in. So my whole life, I mean, my entire life since, I mean, I would say I was like an early teenager, the access to pornography is very easy. So it's, it has not been difficult to, so if I want to say, where did I learn about sex? It was from pornography. Like that's um, where I learned. I mean, that was my instruction manual. This is how it goes. This is how it's done. This is what she does. This is what you do. End of story. Yeah. I don't know where babies come from though, because there's no babies in pornography. So I'm not sure (laughs) where the connection happens. Um, Yeah. I think that, that, I think that's how a huge part of our, I think that's a huge source of, of information for, in terms of how we learn about sex is through porn, because it's not something that's openly talked about. And it isn't something that like, I mean, I was very lucky that my parents actually, my mom was super open about sex. You know, when I was a teenager, she was like, Emily, you need to learn how to get yourself off so that you can teach your partners. She was like, you should wake up every morning with an orgasm. I don't think every mom does that. I was, I was very lucky at the time. I was also like, mom, ah!" you know, I was totally freaked out because I was a teenager, but, um, 
I think that that's a huge, uh, it's, it's, it is, it's such a basic human right or human right, human function, human part of our life is sex. And yet we don't have any education around it. And so, yeah, we look at porn and we think, oh yeah, I'm supposed to just like, you know, pound her really, really hard. Or like, I'm supposed to just lay there and moan and yell and scream the whole time. Um, even if I'm not liking it, you know, like there's all this stuff that we learn from, from porn, from this like synthetic way of being with people, you know, cause that porn is not, it's not, re- well, it depends, I guess, on what porn you're watching, but um, <laughs> it's not necessarily this like dynamic of real people making love or having sex, or even it doesn't have to be making love. It can be hot, sexy, crazy, fun sex. But like, I think that that's part of the reason why I want to talk about this stuff because like <laughs> we don't know how to do it. And it's also funny that you brought it up because I was just talking about this with a client today about because we don't know, we have to actually practice asking for what we need. We have to actually know what makes us feel good, how to get ourselves off, what turns us on so that we can then actually be brave enough to ask for it, to talk about it, to say it. You know, that's a big piece of the puzzle too. You know, like you actually need to know what turns you on. You need to know how to get yourself off first and not rely on your partner to be able to try and figure it out. And so it, it, it's, it's like both, you know, and part of that is the exploration. But I would love for there to be more education around it. You know, like that's not porn. That's actually like grounded in connection and, and authenticity. Oh, so yeah, you want to do that? You want to start like talking about this and educating people? Well, and I think it's, I'm not asking you to make a porn. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for clarifying since we are on video. Um, uh, well, and I, the funny thing is, I think they, the things do exist, right? Like, we're not the first people to have this conversation. There are organizations and, um, things out there that deal in, in, in sex and places people can go and, and whatnot. Um, when I, when you said earlier, you know, you talked about your mom, I actually had like a pretty open, I want to say more than most with like my parents around it too. But I think that even it has to go way before that. Right. Cause when your mom said it, Hey, this is like, I remember my mom having a conversation with me as a little boy about like, Hey, you got to take care of the girl, which actually means that includes other parts, using other parts of your body besides your dick. And, and she was like pretty clear, like what she was, you know, your hands and your mouth and what the point was like, I got it. And, but it wasn't like, I couldn't hear it then as you know what I mean? Like I remember, and I think it like, I think it actually sunk in, but it wasn't like, uh, because the conversation has to start way before that, right. Where you're actually open to the conversation. It can't just like drop out of the sky at 13. Like this is how it goes now. Um, I think your point too, I love about like, you got to know what you like or what you don't like, um, which people don't know. I think as a man um, who's actually not afraid to have that conversation and ask, like who's not, I can't speak for all men, but I know as a man, like who's not afraid to ask a woman like what she likes or what she wants. What I actually find is that often they don't know or they don't want to give an answer or it's like whatever you want. Mm-hmm. There's this, 
where men don't want to ask because they don't want to be emasculated um, or be perceived like they don't know. I think women have done that flip the opposite where it's like a more of a, I want to say like subservient, like whatever you want is good. And so there's like just a disconnect on both sides, right? Like one side can't ask and one side can't actually tell the truth. Um, yeah. Which leads me to a whole nother. Somebody asked me recently about like women and orgasm, orgasming. And I kind of gave a real, I was like, honestly, I don't know. And I don't believe anyone. Cause I don't know whether I know women can put on a great show. And like, I don't know if someone's telling me the truth or not. I have hunches and whatnot. But I think until you have a deep connection with somebody, people are like, tell people what they want to hear. It's easier than actually having to be vulnerable and say like, that didn't feel good. Or I don't like that. Or can you do this? Like that actually takes a lot more courage. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you know, for both points, you know, like the, the, the male side that maybe asked is afraid to ask the question, the female side that maybe doesn't know how to answer the question or is afraid to like, I've actually also asked quite a few men, like, what do you like? What do you want? What feels good? Cause like just as much as men want to be able to create the orgasm for women. Like uh, the thing that single biggest turn on for me is knowing how turned on a man is like, it is. And I think it's probably the same for men. They just may, may not be able to like always admit that or, or say it that like the, the biggest turn on is like knowing that you're turning someone else on. And sometimes that means asking the tough question, but I've gotten so many times back from men also. Um, I don't know. Or like, I ask, what are your fantasies? And they're like, oh, um, I, yeah, that feels good. I don't know. That feels good. What you're doing feels good. And so like, it's this funny, it's this funny thing of like really consciously actually asking yourself what you like, like what you want, what feels good, I think is the place to start so that you can actually answer that question. And then also, you know, whether you're a man or a woman actually being, I guess, bold enough or, um, love yourself enough to answer. Not that you're not, not that I'm saying that you don't love yourself if you can't answer. It's just, it's a compassionate thing to ask for what you need to say what you need. Yeah. And there's also so much, we don't even have time to get into all this, but there's so much like shame in the space that comes from whether it be from trauma or the past or, um, or just the way our society is about it. But I think there's so much in that where, um, where actually some of us are just actually unable to, like there's so to say, let's just say like, as long as both people want to be there doing what they're doing and both people are grownups, pretty much you should be able to ask for whatever you want. Like you're not hurting every, anyone, anybody wants to be there, but there's so much shame around all sorts of things that I think I actually really agree with what you said. You actually have to be able to love and think that the things that you want, there's nothing wrong with them. Mm. And outside of, hey, I'm not, I'm actually not forcing anyone to do anything they don't want to do. And these are adults. There's everything's like copacetic, like it should be fine. Um, but that's not actually the reality for most, I want to say for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that sex in particular is one of those areas where there is an enormous amount of shame. 
um, it is just one of the, yeah, it's just a very raw and vulnerable and judgmental area sometimes. And I think it's also why the, the, the compassion around that area is, is so important. Um, yeah. And I think the thing that popped up as you were talking about it too, is like, not just, you know, facing the thing that you want and letting that be okay and not weird or, um, wrong or kinky or whatever, but also knowing that you're worthy of getting the thing that you're asking for, you know, like knowing that you're worthy of experiencing pleasure, knowing that you're worthy of being loved in return, knowing that you're worthy of having a freaking awesome sex life, like a spectacular sex life. And so it is this, this funny little dance sometimes with knowing that, knowing our worthiness and also um, watching that shame come up and showing it a little bit of love and compassion and creating the conversation that, which is why I love having conversations around sex, that the things that you want, the things that you're, that turn you on, that you're desiring aren't weird or bad or wrong or too kinky or whatever it is, as long as you're not hurting someone, like you're a human. We all have different needs. We all have different desires. It's beautiful. (laughs) Embrace that, you know, which is easier said than done. There's dynamics there, but I think. (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap, I'm going to rapid fire you again now with your, uh, your sex, your sex generals. Um, so we're not going to bring an animal into this. <laughs> and, um, but, and we're not going to, we're not, I'm not actually saying you're going to have sex with these people, but what I'm actually asking you is if you could sit down and have conversations with two, a, ma- a living man, a living woman, and one, let's just go one dead living man and one dead living woman, um, about sex. Who would those people be? As as graphic, private, like you get to really dig in and have like the conversation with them that you, who would these four people be? Oh man, that's actually harder than the first question. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, because it probably wouldn't be a, a well, it'd probably be a really funny conversation, but for some reason the Dalai Lama came up again. I think it'd be really, really funny and interesting and probably really inspiring and, and, and eye-opening to have a conversation with the Dalai Lama around sex. Um, yeah, I think that it would maybe offer something that a different kind of conversation maybe that I hadn't, I hadn't thought of. And I think it would also be really funny, <laughs> um, which I think is also really important, like bringing a little humor and play into sex because that's some of the fun part of it and it's I think it's what makes human sex different sometimes that we get to have fun with it we get to enjoy it and have an orgasm and play with it instead of just doing it to procreate um so I think he I think maybe he would be one okay so wait it was the one one male one living? female alive yeah and then we get two that are not alive they're going to come back to fuck sex with you 
Um, okay, so one living female would be... Hmm. Um... <laughs> The person, I'm just going to be really interested. I'm just going to be really honest about the things that are popping into my head and my intuition. My mom, my mom, actually, I, I talked to my mom about sex a lot. I have since I was a teenager and she's, uh, she's brilliant. She's opened up a whole lot of possibility and, um, just opened up openness to it. So like, you know. I've talked to her about some of the funnest and craziest and kinkiest sex I've ever had. And one, she's just a great sound, you know, a great listener and a great sounding board, but there's no judgment from her. There's, it's a very rare gift to, to be in a conversation around sex and especially with a parent and to not have any judgment. Um, And I'm so grateful to her for that because I think that's part of the reason why I'm sitting here having this conversation with you. So and then past, past people, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd actually really love to have a conversation around sex with someone from a different generation that didn't talk about sex, you know, to actually get to know what it was like for people like maybe my grandmother or my great grandmother that had a completely different culture around sex you know, where you just never talked about it. Um, and to know what that was like for them, you know, to not be able to sit on a video camera and talk across the interweb about masturbation and like, you know, getting your needs met and talking in bed and knowing your body, like that was never a conversation for, you know, people of that generation, at least not that I know of, not really. So I guess <laughs> I'd love to have a conversation with my other great-grandmother, my Grandma Brown, or um, or Ani, my great-aunt who passed, who I was really close to. But she would, I mean, I don't know if she would, I don't, I don't know if either of them would have the conversation, but I would really love to have that conversation with them. <laughs> I, um, it's really cool you brought, so I, one of the last conversations that I, I don't know that it was one of the. I don't know that it was one of the last conversations that I had with my grandfather, but it was one of the last memorable, memorable conversations I had with my grandfather. And my grandmother was actually there. We were, um, they were pretty old. They were like pretty close to ninety, and it wasn't that long before they passed away. But I was at their house. I think I had like come back from New York. I was visiting them. I was like lying on their couch watching like tennis or something with them, and an ad came on the TV. Like, I don't, like, I don't remember exactly like how, but whatever came on the TV was super sexual. And one of them made a comment about like how everything is sexual in this world. And now I'm talking like six years ago, um, six, seven years ago ish, this would have been, uh, maybe a little less, but around that time. So I kind of, I asked them something I like got, I started asking them questions and I basically was like, so obviously you didn't have like billboards plastered up with just like naked women or like men with their shirts off, right? Like that wasn't a thing in like the twenties or the thirties. And my grandmother was like, yeah, no, nobody, like we didn't talk about this. Like it was a secret. 
And then my grandfather said something really interesting. He said, oh, I asked him about cheating. And I asked him, do they think that people, like, what's the impact? Do Are people more, like, promiscuous or cheat more now? What does he think as somebody that's, like, lived through, right, this long span of time? And he said, I don't think anything's actually different. He's like, I think we just talk about it more now. He's like, I think that everything's just more out in the open. He's like, I think back then just as many people were cheating and doing all the things that we see that we make such a big deal about now, like that are in the media, social media and and on the news. But he, his feeling was that it was the same then. It was just, it was just, you know, beneath the eye line, basically. I thought that was kind of cool. It's so cool. It's so cool. And I think that there's probably so much truth in that, that like how we are in relationship. And I mean, if you think about it, sex has literally been, (laughs) it's been a foundation of human existence since human existence. We've been having sex since we've been in existence. That's how we got into existence or whatever. (laughs) There's all different sorts of theories around that, but like, you know, we know that we've been having sex since we've been having sex for yeah. a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, makes sense that it would show up with these consistencies, no matter what's going on socially, no matter what's going on with how we, how we are as humans, like we are humans and we have sex and we cheat and we lie. And, um, I think I think that like the basics of how like the essence of how sex shows up or the essence or the basics of relationship is often the same um which is actually kind of it it it's kind of cool I guess when you think about it because it's not this big problem that we have to fix today that's like so new and different um and it's not this big revelation either honestly like if we sink into the just like the simplicity of it then we see that it's people making love or people finding pleasure together or or people falling out of connection and finding themselves in a new space in their relationship you know like so much of it can get layered and kind of convoluted but like the core is just human connection yeah and i hear i don't actually know that or i don't i don't know that or that it will anything will ever change in any aspect because this is like our human experience as people that are alive now somebody said to me recently like things are so much worse now than they've ever been And I went, I don't actually think that's true. Like, I can't imagine living during the Crusades when Muslims and Christians were just slaughtering each other, like, all over the globe, or living during, you know, times when, like, England and France were fighting, or countries were colonizing each other, or even, you know, like, during World War II or World War I, like, these are, this is the thing we're dealing with, like, the world that we live in, and every time period had its, it was, like, always a mess whether it be sex or love or whatever, it's just, this is our time for it. Um, Thanks so much for being here. Um, Thank you for your vulnerability, your honesty, your, um, there's such a, it's funny, 
people always tell me this about me and I never noticed it about anyone else, but there's such a, a, a levity and a groundedness to who you are and how you talk about things that other people might be uncomfortable with. There's just so like this playful ease about it. So whether it be from the love revolution or to the sex revolution or whatever we were talking about in between, um, thanks for just having love be something that's so joyous and flat and not necessarily so heavy, but also so real and substantial at the same time. Um, wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's a, a very powerful reflection, both for me and for the thing that I am so passionate about. I'm very, very grateful for that. And I do so totally see that in you too, that levity and groundedness at the same time. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty powerful, like I see it actually as this really cool, powerful tool of mastering and being with and in balance with your divine feminine and divine masculine, or like just your inner knowing and your groundedness to the physical world. So thank you. Thank you for creating the space. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for like that openness to go there and have this conversation. And um, yeah, I'm just very grateful for, for the space, but grateful also just to know you. <laughs> Thanks. It's likewise. How do people, other people that want to know you, how do they do that? How do they find you, listen to you? Where's all your, all your info? All my info. Um, the best place. Well, the, info you, uh, the info you <laughs> want to give them. Let's not, we don't need to give all the info. Unless you... <laughs> I'm going to give you my home address, my cell phone <laughs> number, um, <laughs> my social security number. No. Um, but, uh, the easiest place usually is probably from my website, um, which is lovelivingholistics.com. Uh, it has info about everything, the radio station, my services, a little bit about me and how to get in touch with me. Um, it's also kind of linked to all of my social media. Um, I'm on Instagram, Love Living Holistics. And um, my Facebook, most people follow just my personal page, which is Emily Perkins. But you know what? There's a gajillion Emily Perkinses, which is really frustrating to me. So <laughs> just look up Love Living Holistics. <laughs> I'll put it on the show notes. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dream Mason podcast. Please subscribe to the Dream Mason podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with a friend and give us a review on iTunes. I am grateful to have had you here. If you want more, you can follow or reach out to me, Alex Terranova, on Instagram at inspirationalalex or at thedreammason.com or email me at alex at thedreammason.com. And remember, you are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.